0: Chapter 3, Max, Friday, May 22nd. Skylar folds her arms over her head and brings her head down between her knees. I realize she's seen everything I've seen. Impulsively, I place my hand on her back to try to make her feel more at ease. I can feel her breathing become erratic underneath the light pressure of my hand resting on her back, like it did on the steps once before. Before I know it, words are coming out of my mouth. Get us out of here now. The glass is starting to crack. I don't care if you have to run him over. We can't stay here any longer. More vehicles are coming at our left. Almost before I'm done speaking, my dad surges the weight of his leg onto the accelerator and forces our SUV to topple over the man that was trying to bash his way into our vehicle. My whole body clenches as the tires make their way over him. The crunch is nauseating and I have to refrain from allowing myself to think too much about the horrible things happening right now. Part of me thinks that my dad was waiting for approval from someone to make the move that he had already intended to make. My dad has had to make a lot of drastic decisions that have hurt people since this whole thing started, and I can only imagine how it's weighing on his conscience. No one speaks the rest of the way down High Street unless it is to inform my dad of a possible situation or roadblock. We near the end of the highway before it reaches the outer belt of Columbus and decide that we should pull over. Traffic is backed up because of the roadblocks ahead disallowing people from traveling outside of the city. We pull off the highway and drive off road for about 20 yards to hide our SUV in between a row of mature evergreen trees. This allows us time to think for a few minutes and decide what to do next. My dad asked for the paperwork that he threw in the back at the office building. Skylar hands it to him and I say, what's on there? The other paperwork, the stuff I got from Sam's office. It mentioned that there would be roadblocks if things didn't go accordingly. The paperwork at the office, this paperwork, he points to the paperwork in his hand, tells us where those roadblocks might be. The cabin is over 40 miles out of the city, so finding a way around the roadblocks is imperative. But after checking and rechecking the paperwork, dad realizes that the roadblock presently ahead of us isn't on the map. I hate to say this, but I think the best scenario is to leave the car and continue ahead on foot. I see the panic sweep across Skylar's face and even though I feel it too, I force myself to keep a straight face so she doesn't feed off of my own worry. I don't know why I feel the need to shield her from this, but I chalk it up to not needing another person in our group to go into shock, especially considering Wiley still hasn't said much since my dad shot those two men. After a momentary silence, dad folds up the paperwork and says, okay, let's do this. We grab our backpacks and belongings from my dad's SUV. We take everything that could be of use to us, like the first aid kit that came standard in his Audi. Skylar frantically tries a little too hard to stick the first aid kit in her backpack and accidentally drops the bag, allowing most of the contents to fall to the ground. As I help her pick the stuff up, I notice she brought a few extra odd things. I put my hand on what I thought was a book, but realize it's a handwritten journal. She quickly grabs it from my hand, almost embarrassed, and places it inside her bag. She also brought a Polaroid camera. The kind that prints photos automatically. I remember back to having one of them as a kid and shaking the shit out of the print, thinking it would help it develop faster. Come to find out that's actually a myth and doesn't help at all. With the five minutes we had to grab things, I can't help but wonder how this made the cut. Maybe it holds sentimental value or something. As we begin to walk out, I'm unsure of whether or not I should keep my gun in my hand, but in hopes of not stressing Skylar or Wiley, I just keep my hand readily available in case I need to quickly draw it. While we walk, my dad advises us to head east in order to get past the actual on and off ramps of the outer belt and cross the highway instead of walking ourselves right into that roadblock. We walk for a few minutes until he says that he feels confident about our distance. Traffic is completely at a standstill and the sounds of horns blaring and people yelling at each other fill the space. The smell of hot asphalt lingers. Luckily people are so focused on getting themselves out of this mess that they don't pay much attention to us. We pick a spot to cross between rows of stopped cars. Almost as soon as we start crossing our projected path, we become aware of a young woman making quite a scene in our anticipated path. She walks to the car beside her, and without hesitating, punches her once-a-time dainty fist through the glass as a man from behind the car starts to approach. Aw, man, what's the hell, girl? Why would you... His voice trails off when he makes eye contact with her and she begins to grunt at him. I become alarmed at how similar she is acting to the man we trampled over in our SUV. Her juvenile face exudes rage. We quickly move a little further east to another opening between cars. Dan, what the fuck is going on? A woman yells at the driver of her car, possibly her husband. Other people are questioning, too. We quickly dart through the westbound lane and hop over the concrete barrier separating the eastbound lane. I almost lose my balance as my backpack gets caught briefly on the median. Skylar reaches out to steady me. I thank her. Just as we all are finishing crossing over the barrier, we hear loud groans behind us. The young woman who punched the car window has given up on her last target and is running toward us. She's flailing her arms violently, and I have no doubts about her desire to cause bodily harm to us. We're around five feet away from her when she gets caught by the barrier. She appears to not have the coordination to be able to maneuver properly around it. Come on, I say to the group, before she figures out how to get over that. I take off across the eastbound lane, heading toward the tree line just off of the highway, and everyone else follows suit. Once we reach the wooded area, we walk quietly and closely together for what seems like a mile. My senses are on high alert, noticing every twig that's stepped on or bird that's flown by. Even the sound of our taxing breathing feels incredibly detailed. Yet, I feel completely oblivious when my dad stops dead in his tracks with his arms out, stopping us at the edge of a field. In the middle of this field sits a large, lit-up building. Two all-too-familiar black SUVs lead us to think this might be an outpost for this unknown radical group causing chaos across our city, one which wasn't noted on our handy-dandy map. We begin to evaluate our options— but quickly grasp that we have to choose between backtracking, losing time and putting us close to ground zero, or getting closer to this building and trying to MacGyver our way around. On the track through the woods, Wiley finally snaps out of his shock, and now he has gone into practical thinking mode. He and my dad stepped away and have been mumbling back and forth to each other and drawing strategic plans on the palm of their hands using their fingers. A whirl of the fingers show the building, a couple X's to show the guards and us, and curved lines to show possible ways around. Wiley and Dad come back and the look on their faces make me feel as if this arrangement is going to be more difficult than they hoped. Wiley almost looks pained, the stress of the situation settling into wrinkles in his face I didn't know existed. Wiley's always seemed so young to me, I assume mid-30ish but I've always been a poor judge of people's ages. Wiley is naturally laid back, almost always with a smile on his face or trying to lighten the mood. To see him so distraught today is a complete change from how he typically acts. My dad starts filling Skylar and me in on the plan. Now I understand completely why Wiley's face showed such discomfort. My dad says we need a diversion. One of us will have to distract a guard. The rest of us will take him out, and then we'll be able to waltz on by before the other two have made their cross-checks of the building. Wiley chimes in that he, initially, was going to be the diversion, but my dad brought up that the guard might not be on high alert if he sees a small woman approaching. My stomach sinks. I loathe this newfound unknown emotion I feel towards this girl. I cut my dad off mid-sentence and volunteered to go instead of Skylar. Wiley looks thankful and hopeful that his niece won't have to risk herself. Skylar looks genuinely pissed that I have even spoken a word. Skylar speaks up. It makes far more sense for me to do this, Max. Don't try to play hero. I was just trying to help. I didn't realize you would be so quick to volunteer. Whatever. You act like I'm helpless and can't make rational decisions by myself. I'm fully capable of pulling this off. Looking at my dad, she says, Now, what's the plan? And just like that, her stubborn disposition erases away all the positives that I had started to think and feel towards this girl. We discuss the plan, and it actually seems like it might work. Skylar has some acting to do to make this guard believe she's vulnerable and defenseless. She makes her way out of our shrub-and-tree-covered area and starts walking toward the building. My palms start to sweat and I force myself to take a deep breath. Wily Dad and I watch from about 200 feet away. The guard sees Skylar and does exactly what we want him to do. Skylar puts her hands up slightly to signify she's unarmed and walks to his left side. He falls precisely for the bait and turns his back towards us. Time for us to move. We quickly and quietly make our way towards the building. We timed how often the guards make their pass around the building. We should have approximately approximately three minutes to take this guard out and move past the building out of sight. As I watch Skylar talk to this guard, I can't help but wonder whether she's a great actress or really good at deceiving people. I'm going with the latter. The gap between us and the guard is about 30 feet and closing quickly, and I feel a slight tinge of comfort that he's still in our trap. My heart nearly stops when another guard opens the steel door and steps out. He catches sight of us and hastily grabs Skylar by the throat, putting a gun to her head. The despair that sweeps across her face twists at my heart. It's a look of complete terror. The guard squeezes his forearm tighter around her neck and pushes the tip of his handgun further into her temple. I'm at a complete loss loss for freaking words. Not that words seem to matter. No one has spoken since this started. Either we completely caught these guards by surprise or they don't care what we have to say regardless. Easy does it, my dad says, gently breaking the silence. The men continue to remain silent. Skylar gives my dad a pain but hopeful look and exchanges some type of nod. I see Skylar wiggling her chin under the man's exposed forearm and viciously bite down. He lets out a deep groan and instinctively loses his grip to grab onto his freshly wounded arm. I rip the gun from the holster on my side almost simultaneously as I hear the gunshots leaving my dad's gun into the other man. The smell of gunpowder, sweat, and blood fills the air. Before I know it, I've already shot three bullets into the chest of the man that threatened to kill Skylar. My mind tries over and over to process what just happened, but I can't shift my focus from the ringing in my ears. I just killed a man.